I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. This is the third week of Missions Month, where we take time every year to examine God's call of mission on our lives as believers. Last Sunday, Jim Wilson, our missionary to pastors in Central and South America, talked about Jesus's last command before he returned to heaven in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus commanded his followers to make disciples everywhere they went, teaching them to obey all that he had commanded them including that command to make disciples. But that's not a new mission. From the very beginning, when God made man and woman, he commanded them to fill the earth with his image, to show him and his authority in all of creation. Typically, when we hear missions in the church, we're thinking foreign missions. But the definition of mission is a special assignment given to a person or a group. When we hear about a military mission, we immediately connect mission with specific assignments given to a group with goals and objectives for people that are working together to accomplish, right? But that's what we're talking about when we talk about our Christian mission. So in the church, we support folks like Jim, missionaries working on assignment by going with them, by giving money and praying for them, and we must continue to support them. But our responsibility to be on mission for Christ doesn't end there. We are called by God to be on mission, to participate in making disciples who in turn will make more disciples. And since that is our mission, this morning we're going to look at Paul's example and uncover some aspects of our mission. Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. The book of Acts bridges the Gospels, which is the the earthly ministry of Jesus, with the rest of the New Testament. And this book tells of the acts of the apostles as they carried out their mission that Jesus assigned to them. This is the second book written by Luke Luke to his friend Theophilus. Um, And he even referenced Jesus' mission assignment to the apostles in Acts 1, 1 and 2. 
This book was written sometime between 62 and 64 AD, and it recorded the formation of the church and how the church and the apostles went about spreading the gospel and carrying out their Christian mission from Jesus. Look at Acts 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. What follows here is a farewell speech from Paul to the church in Ephesus and a summary of many of the aspects of Paul's mission, the objectives, and also some dangers to avoid. This last address to the elders is a mixture of both example and exhortation. So this is an excellent passage for us to study and to learn about our Christian mission. In our first point, we'll look at Paul's instructions to humbly proclaim the full truth of God to everyone despite the risks. Paul offered his life as an example. Look at verse 18. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set set foot in Asia. So Paul had traveled to the church in Ephesus, which is in Asia, and he lived among them for three years. And it's easy to see his going to them as part of the mission to go into into all the earth. But let's look at what else Paul shared, where else Paul shared the gospel. Skip down to verse 20. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Paul was declaring the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, from house to house, from family to family, from group to group. See, we aren't called to proclaim the gospel just in foreign lands. We're called to live as an example and to to declare it in our own homes. And that's the starting point. And in public, in our neighborhoods, with our coworkers, as well as the world. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, go, And the word go here is a participle, sorry for the grammar, it's a participle that modifies make disciples. A clearer way to interpret this might be make disciples wherever you go. Or wherever you are, make disciples. The command is not to go, the command is to make disciples. Everywhere. And this echoes God's command when he created man and woman, right? to fill the earth with the image of God, to make him known everywhere, from the deepest valley to the highest mountaintop, from every home and neighborhood, town square and job. Foreign missions for sure, but also locally, in our homes, everywhere we are. Everywhere we're to go, everywhere we go, We're to humbly serve the Lord, carrying out our mission. Take a look at verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility. Let's just stop right there. Everyone serves something or someone. And Paul told them who his master was. His master was the Lord. And he taught humbly. 
recognizing that he did not deserve the grace that he'd received from the Lord. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul said that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and then he said, I am the worst of them all. Remembering this, he humbly, not arrogantly, declared everything that was profitable for them. The book of James instructs us that we are to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Paul's example and James' instruction show that teaching humbly includes lots of listening. How different from the world is that? It seems like now everybody's just yelling at one another. Humility takes, means taking time to hear the other person out. It doesn't mean agreeing with their view, but by being humble, we might learn where they're coming from. Before we speak. This is thoughtful and humble instruction. And it's a strategic aspect of teaching. To understand the student so that you can bring them from one place of understanding to a new place of understanding. You have to hear them and know where they are. Paul was humble in his service to the Lord, but he was also passionate, and he suffered as he served the Lord. Look at verse 19 again. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. We don't like where this is going, do we? Humility, servitude, suffering, and being passionate about it at the same time? This isn't a popular point, but we need to hear it and we need to do it. Kenneth Gangle, in his commentary on this passage, said this. Take a look at the screen. Humility and servitude, though very common themes in Paul's writings, receive far too little press in the modern church. So how could Paul do this? Love. Love for the Lord, love for the church, and love for the lost. And we can see how deeply Paul cared for God's church and the lost. He served with tears. He hurt for them. And can I remind us that, that no one will listen to us if we don't genuinely care about them? There's an old saying that says, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. A genuine love for them. This was clear as we served in Potosi, Nicaragua for seven years, teaching pastors there. And they knew that we cared and that our church fellowship was, uh, and their teachers were spending their time and, and their money and their talents to train them year after year. And the pastor's response um, at this last Bible Institute uh, was, was touching. All week long, they told us stories about how the biblical instruction had changed their minds from wrong doctrines. They told us about how their relationships with each other had grown through our efforts. And they shared how it impacted their ministries and their churches. And on that last day, 
church leaders and their wives lined up to hug us with tears in their eyes. And ours too. Paul continued to serve in trials. We learn in 2 Corinthians 11 that he was ridiculed, run out of town, whipped, beaten with rods, stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked, and a bunch of other stuff. And he still persevered in humble service. Paul served humbly when there was pushback from his culture. And compared to Paul, we really don't face much pushback in our culture. The truth is, we don't want to encounter pushback and that unpleasantness. And this often silences us. But our example in Paul is not to pull back, not to shrink back. Look at verse 20 again. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Paul wasn't concerned about what people thought or what they said. He kept declaring what was beneficial to them without shrinking back. He was determined to carry out the mission regardless of what other people said or thought. Skip down to verse 26 and 27. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul was on mission to declare everything that was profitable. Twice in this passage, we see Paul not shrinking back from the whole truth of God. And we see that his motivation here for declaring the entire, group, the entire truth, that he would be innocent of their blood. He'll be innocent on the day when they come to judgment. He cared about them passionately, and he knew what was coming. That he would be innocent of their blood on judgment day. Gumbo Adeyemo said this, have a look at this quote on the screen. Paul's words are a solemn warning to us. Can we be as certain that we're not responsible for the blood of those under our care? Have we taken care to proclaim the whole will of God? This begs a question. What if we don't declare the whole truth of God? What if we shrink back? What if we know the truth but are afraid to proclaim it? What explanation will we give on Judgment Day? It's clear here that Paul was free from guilt because he declared the whole truth of God. And he and what they did with that truth was on them. Right? These are huge motivations for us. To serve the Lord we, we love. Loving on sinners and being free from guilt due to our silence. Paul testified to the whole truth. Look back at verse 21. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Testifying is repeated three times in our passage. Here in verse 21, in verse 24, 
and then again in verse 26. And Paul is very specific about his testimony. He told them of their need to repent and to place their faith in Jesus Christ. Paul had certainly explained to them that Jesus had paid the penalty for sin by laying down his life and dying on a cross in order to save them. And it takes both repentance and faith. And we need the whole truth. After all, what need do we have of a Savior if we don't know that we need to be saved? We need to hear that sin sets us against God. And the penalty for that sin is eternal death. But Jesus came and died to pay that penalty for us and to save those who place their faith in Him. What do you have to testify about? Did this happen to you? At some point, did you come to terms with your sin and realize that you needed Jesus to save you? If so, this is your testimony of who you were and who you now are through repentance and faith. And we share this testimony with everybody. Paul mentions Jews and Greeks. We share our testimony with people of different races, different belief systems, and different sin than our own. Yeah, I said it. We're all sinners. Only some of us are forgiven. Everyone needs Jesus. And when we avoid some sinners over others, we're wrong. Paul didn't shrink back for any reason. And Jesus didn't shrink back from the worst in his culture either, right? The lepers, tax collectors, harlots, you name it. Everyone around you needs him just as bad as you do. There's no difference. All sin sets us against God, and we don't shrink back from declaring what God did in our lives. Paul shared his story with everyone, declaring, Jesus is Lord, and he placed his value only in serving his Lord in ministry. Read with me, starting in verse 22. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was obedient to God, and he testified wherever he went. The Spirit of God constrained him to declare the gospel. Constrained by God means obligated. If you think about it, you say, I've given my life to the Lord. That means it's not yours. 
He lived in obedience because he loved God for what God had done for him. So Paul walked in faith, not knowing what would come, but trusting in the Lord. The Holy Spirit had made it clear to him the trouble would come. But he continued despite the risk, the pushback, and the hardship. What love Paul displayed for his Savior and the lost around him. That he would go to certain afflictions and tell them about Jesus, walking by faith that God was with him. Paul took great risk. Why? Because he lived for mission. His life had no value apart from his mission and his ministry to testify to the gospel of God's grace. When I read these words from Paul, I can't help but think about a modern-day missionary and what he said. Take a look at this quote on the screen from Jim Elliott, written from his notebook on October 28, 1949. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool to give his life in this world that will not last to gain eternal life with God that he cannot lose. Let me ask you something. Can anything, can anything in this world send you to heaven one second before God wants you there? Jim Elliott lived like this. People told him, if you go there, they'll kill you. Don't take a chance. The risk is too high. But the focus, the aim of Jim Elliott's life was for Jesus to be known everywhere and by everybody. And he trusted that Jesus would take whatever the enemy means for evil and turn it for good. And that's exactly what happened with Jim Elliott. It's, it's an awesome story. If you don't know it, I, I encourage you to read it. It's, it's, it's astounding what God did. So what does this look like in your life? Do you think that you are preserving your life by not being all in? Jim Elliott was all in. Paul was all in. Look at verse 25. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. We don't see here that Paul knew he would die, but he clearly knew he wouldn't be back, that he wouldn't see them again. And he went anyway. What's keeping you from being all in? What are you holding on to rather than obedience to God's mission? Paul placed his value in obedience, his walking in faith, facing the risk to accomplish God's purpose for his life. Paul lived his life that God would get the glory. And this is Paul's example of our Christian mission to humbly proclaim the whole truth of God to everyone despite the risk. 
But Paul doesn't end with just his example here. He gives a warning to the church in Ephesus, and that's point number two. Be alert for coming false teachers and false doctrine. Look at verse 28 with me. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Pay attention. Be alert. First to yourselves and then the flock. The context here is he's speaking to the elders, the leaders in the church. And it's critical that we as leaders pay attention to ourselves and to the church, to watch out for wolves from the outside and from the inside, people who will spread false doctrine and try to lead off who they can to destruction. Paul calls on leaders in the church to pay attention night and day to ourselves that we aren't led astray and to God's church that Jesus purchased with his blood. But it doesn't stop with the elders. We're all leaders. And we're all called to pay attention to ourselves and to those who are in our care. Those in our families and those God has placed in relationships with us. We're to passionately watch over them. Paul says he admonished them with tears, knowing that the enemy lurks, seeks to devour, seeking to draw them away and destroy them. We must be constantly alert, not letting our guard down and admonishing against the danger and the consequences. This is what we do on Sunday morning here and on Sunday evening. We have biblical instruction on doctrine, the truth of God's word and its application in our lives, that we will be established in the whole counsel of God so that we'll be fully equipped and that we're not led astray by twisted truth so that you can examine yourself and watch out for those in your care. One of the things that I'm most impressed about with Ebok, uh, Jim Wilson's ministry, is his strategy to combat false doctrine in God's church. Jim wrote 15 courses, and, I don't, and we're not talking lightweight stuff. This is good stuff. He wrote 15 courses that begin with the authority of Scripture, Bible study, and other commonly held beliefs, which help build trust of the pastors in the ministry. Then after several years of building that trust, the courses turn to things that are more difficult. Things like the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and the doctrine of salvation. And it's often in these subjects that we see error in Central America and other places. But the course order has strategically built relationships and a foundation in Scripture so that by the time it comes to these difficult doctrines, 
these difficult to understand and grasp issues, the pastors trust the ministry and genuinely seek to understand what the Bible has to say to them and to form their views on the whole counsel of God. It's amazing. On this last trip to Potosi, we heard from a pastor um, who learned the biblical truth of the security of the believer um, through a course at Ebok. And when he returned to his church, he started preaching this wonderful truth. But the leadership in his denomination found out and they told him to stop. But he told them, I can't stop. It's what Scripture says. Look. So they fired him. But he was praising God anyway for the beautiful truth that he was now so sure of. And since being fired, he started another church where he's free to declare the whole truth of Scripture. Ebok is a wonderful ministry. And it's growing exponentially across Central America and South America, the Caribbean, and, and now in Africa. It's, it's incredible. With this last trip, Fellowship Bible Church has completed seven and a half year commitments in two places in uh, Nicaragua. And in this December, we will start a new location in Irapuato, Mexico. And I have a map here that I'm going to put up on the screen. This red marker is where Irapuato is. It's located about halfway between Mexico City and Guadalajara. Jim told me about this place a little bit. Um, as a matter of fact, he's going to be there next week. He said this is a middle-class area with lots of industry and better-paying jobs. But astoundingly, this area is only 2% Christian. 98% unchurched. Please be in prayer for this work. Pray for Ebok. Pray for our team. And that God will equip these pastors in Irapuato to reach the lost with the truth of God's Word. And that leads us to this last point. Paul exhorts us to pray, to work hard, and to support the work of the ministry. First, we're to support the ministry through prayer. Look at verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul tells the elders that he's praying for them, commending them to God. First, for God's grace, which will bring spiritual growth, and that they be built up in the truth of God's Word. Paul is praying that God will give an inheritance, an ever, everlasting result among the sanctified, that is, the church. Paul is praying that they grow and mature and by God's grace have treasure in heaven in the church. We're all called to do this, church leaders and congregation, to build up the church working together on mission. And Paul is commending them to God, the great shepherd watching over his church. We need to follow Paul's example here and pray for our church. Praying that everyone here is on mission and that we'll all grow and mature 
that by God's grace be built up in His Word, continually being sanctified and conformed to His image. And that's our prayer, right? For fellowship, for these pastors and churches in Potosi, Nicaragua, in Irapuato, in Nigeria, all over the world. Never ceasing to pray for each other. Paul's closing words are very significant. Look at verse 33 and 34. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands administered to my necessities and those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul reminds them that his motivation was to not get anything from them. Quite the contrary. They knew he worked to support not only his own needs, but the needs of those around him. And this is the right heart for ministry. It's not self-serving. It's not trying to manipulate people to give. Paul used his own time, his own money, his own talents to provide for himself and for others, particularly the poor. Tim Keller helps us to understand the emphasis. Take a look at this quote on the screen. The Apostle Paul viewed ministry to the poor as so important that it was one of the last things he admonished the Ephesian church to do before he left them for the last time. In his farewell address, Paul was able to ground this duty in the teaching of Jesus. We must help the poor, he said. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. You don't use your last words without saying something that's all important to you. For Paul it was, don't only preach, help the poor. Paul sounds like James here. Everybody's always putting Paul against James. (laughs) Do something to help people. We aren't just talking about life in Christ. We live like Jesus. We speak the whole truth of the gospel and we show people who Jesus is by serving the poor, the helpless, and the deceived. We consider them more important than ourselves. Giving of our God-given time, our God-given treasure, our God-given talents. Giving them back to Him, through them, that they will benefit. One of my seminary professors described Jesus' ministry as humbling himself to come to earth to sacrificially lift the broken up to God. I think it's beautiful. This is Paul's example of our Christian mission. Humbly proclaim the truth of God to everyone despite the risk. To be alert for coming false teachers and doctrine. To pray, work hard, and support the work of ministry. Are you a follower of Jesus like Paul? Are you his disciple? Are you Jesus' disciple? The lexicon defines disciple as 
to be a follower of someone in the sense of adhering to the teachings and instructions of a leader and in promoting the cause of such leader. I think it's stunning how much James and Paul sound alike in the sense of adhering to these things, to be doers and not just hearers. You see, hearing, sitting here and hearing, is not doing. You know that? It's just hearing. Doing won't save you, but if you're saved, then you will do. You won't be able to help it. Your desire will be to be active and growing God's kingdom. What is your life's mission? Are you only a pew sitter? A hearer who only cares for your own interests? Doing nothing to grow God's kingdom? I like how Matt Carter said it. I have this quote on the screen. I will go where I can, send others where I can't, and I will pray diligently for the gospel to be fruitful in both places. I challenge you. Look hard at your life this morning. Whose kingdom do you live in? Whose kingdom are you working to grow? Your own or the kingdom of God? The answer to that question will show you your life's mission. You may not be in His kingdom if you're not on God's mission. I urge you, repent from sitting on the tiny, teeny-weeny, insignificant throne of the kingdom of self today. Weep and cry out that the Lord will forgive you. Turn your life up and over. Place your faith in Jesus and live your life on God's mission. This is the only mission with eternal value.